Amen. Well, as you take your seat, I invite you to take your copy of Scripture and turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Last week, as we began our study in Romans 8, uh, I mentioned that some have said that this is the greatest chapter in the greatest letter in the greatest book that has ever been written. And um, last week, we looked at verses 1 through 4. And I remember as I was preparing for the message last week, I thought to myself, wow, there's so much in these first four verses. And um, I preached all of the first four verses last week, and, uh, but I was tempted to break it up into a few different messages. I didn't. I preached it all. But this week, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. So I was planning to preach this morning, verses 5 through 11, six verses, but as I was preparing this week, I realized this is easily two or three messages. And so what I'm going to do this morning is uh, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8, okay? Now, this is going to totally throw me off of my sermon schedule, but that's okay. We're just going to take our time as we work through Romans chapter 8. I'm going to try it this, this way this week, and uh, we'll see how we do it in the weeks to come. So, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to begin reading for us in verse 1, read through to verse 11, and then this morning we're going to focus on verses 5 through 8. So, Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Amen. This is God's Word. Well, we live in a society that has a natural distaste for the truth. And so we are arrogant and presumptuous enough at times to believe that by the force of our own will, we can create our own truth, even if our personal truth claims directly contradict basic common sense. So, for example, some people claim 
that pretty much all of humanity is on their way to knowing and experiencing God, but we're just all taking different paths. One popular analogy that is used to convey this truth is that of a mountain and hikers going up a mountain. You've probably heard this example before. The idea is that God is on the top of the mountain, and at the bottom of the mountain there are any number of entry points, different paths that you could take. One of those paths might be Judaism, one might be Christianity, one might be Islam, one might be Buddhism, one might be New Ageism, uh, one might be witchcraft, uh, one might be um, ancestral worship. There's all these different paths at the bottom of the mountain that you can take, but you choose your path and then all of the different paths lead to the same destination. We're just coming up the mountain on different sides, but we'll all end up in the same place. Namely, we'll end up where God is at the top of the mountain. Now, I believe it has been demonstrated many times over that this whole notion is nonsensical. In large part because the various religions of the world differ so dramatically at even the most basic level of who God is who we are, how we can know God. So just for example, Christianity teaches that there is one God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Islam teaches the absolute unity of God and would absolutely reject any sense that there is three persons within God. On the other hand, Buddhism denies the existence of a personal God, and in contrast to that, Hinduism does not only claim that there is one God, but literally claims there are billions of gods. And we could go on and on and on identifying core fundamental differences between the uh, predominant religions of the world. So if this is true, if, the, if this is the way life works, if there is this mountain and God is at the top of the mountain, we're just all coming up different sides of the mountain then the God who is at the top of this mountain is either blatantly dishonest or terribly confused. It's nonsensical. Our society's approach to truth is also illustrated well in the most recent debates regarding transgenderism. I came across uh, this quote this last week from Thaddeus Williams, who is a Christian thinker, and he writes these words, quote, Life is not a matter of believing our self-centered dreams intensely enough that reality bends around our wishes. The human who self-identifies as a bunny would not sprout long furry ears and poop bunny pellets. The self-identifying wolf wouldn't last long in the wolf pack. The self-identifying eagle wouldn't survive the leap of a skyscraper. Encouraging aspiring bunnies, wolves, and eagles to live their dreams does not make us loving. It makes us complicit in their destruction, end of quote. So do you see, my friends, when we comply with the desires of others to create their own truth, whether that relates to their own spiritual life or their own sexuality, it's not only nonsensical, but it is in fact unloving. 
In our text this morning, Paul lays out for us a very clear truth, perhaps a difficult truth for some of us, but just like the Bible rejects the notion that there is five or ten or forty or sixty different genders, which some claim today, Paul, along with the rest of the biblical authors, also rejects the notion that there are five or ten or forty or sixty different ways to God. Instead, what we see in our text this morning is that Paul declares that all humanity falls into either one of two categories. Either we are in the flesh or we are in the Spirit. In our text this morning, Paul is going to contrast what it means to be in the flesh as opposed to what it means to be in the Spirit. I want us to consider our passage this morning in four parts. First, we'll consider a definition. Secondly, we'll consider a mindset. Third, an outcome. And then fourth, a relationship. A definition, a mindset, an outcome, and a relationship. So first of all, a definition. Look there in chapter 8, verse 5, and we read these words. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now you see here in this verse, right away in verse 5, we see a contrast here between the flesh and the Spirit. But before we press into this too deeply, let's just begin by defining our terms. What does Paul mean here when he speaks of the Spirit? Who is Paul speaking about? Well, if we look at the context in Romans chapter 8 more fully, we see that in chapter 8 verse 2, Paul refers to the Spirit there as the Spirit of life. In chapter 8 verse 9, he refers to Him as the Spirit of God, and again as the Spirit of Christ. Again, in verse 11, we see the Spirit of Him, that is the Spirit of God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, the Bible reveals God as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so here we see, there's different names that Paul uses here to refer to the third person of the Trinity, but that's who Paul is speaking of here. He's speaking of the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Now, on the other hand, let's define the flesh. What does Paul mean when he speaks of the flesh? Well, the word that is used here in the original language is sarx. It's translated flesh. And it's a word that has several different definitions based on the context in which it's used. So we have words like this in English. So, for example, you think of the word bat in English. We could say, I walked into a dark cave and a bat flew right in front of my face, right? Or we could say, I hit the ball with a bat, We don't mean we hit the ball with a winged animal, right? But with a more like a stick, right? We hit the ball with the bat. Or we could say, I was shocked, but no one batted an eyelid. Can you imagine learning English and how difficult it would to be make sense of all of this, right? But we have words like this in English, and most languages do. Based on context, it determines the meaning of the word. When Greek, sarx has several different meanings. For example, sarx, which is translated flesh, can refer to the fleshly parts of our body. It can refer to our whole body. It can refer to being human rather than divine. But here in this context, in Romans chapter 8, Paul uses sarks to refer 
to our human nature under the power of sin. Our human nature under the power of sin. In fact, this is the reason why the New International Version, the NIV, if you're reading from that translation, actually translates flesh here, not as flesh, but translates it as sinful nature. They're getting at the the sense of the way in which Paul is using the word rather than translating it literally as flesh. Now, there's an important distinction, though, here for us to make as we think about flesh. We've said that the flesh is our human nature under the power of sin, but when we think of flesh in this way, most of us probably think of our sinful lust or desires that act out in rebellion against God. Our minds might naturally go to things like sexual immorality or drunkenness or anger, debauchery, and no doubt those are characteristic of the flesh. So for example, in Galatians chapter 5 verses 19 to 20, this is what Paul says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So Paul says that all of these things are characteristic of the flesh. They are works of the flesh. These acts of rebellion against God and against His law. But it's also important for us to understand that when Paul speaks of the flesh, it not only includes being sinfully rebellious against God, but it also includes being sinfully religious. For example, when Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he is confronting those in the church in Galatia who are embracing this idea that we can be justified by law, That we can be made right before God by being good religious people rather than by trusting in Jesus' atoning sacrifice for their sins on the cross. Paul says that's being in the flesh. Listen to Paul's words in Galatians chapter 3 verses 2 and 3. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you see what Paul is saying there? To reject God's free grace in Christ is to be in the flesh. It's pride. It's self-reliance. It's self-righteousness. To think that we can make ourselves right before God in our own doing, that we could add something to the perfect atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is to be in the flesh. Therefore, Paul would say, to be religious might seem to be spiritual. It might seem to be of the Spirit. But if it's not rooted in utter reliance upon Jesus and His saving work on the cross, Paul says it's of the flesh. It's self-reliance. It's self-righteousness. It's pride. So this is a definition of the Spirit and of the flesh. The Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of life. And the flesh 
is our human nature under the dominance and power of sin. Rather, that is expressed in acts of rebellion against God's law or sinful practices of religion that are based on self-reliance. So, that's the definition. Secondly, a mindset. A mindset. Look there again in verse 5 and we read these words. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now you notice there that verse 5 begins with the word for, could be translated because, and that links us back to the previous verses, verses 3 and 4. So look there in verse 3, and the latter part of chapter 8, verse 3, we read, He, that is God the Father, condemns sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now here's the question. Why do Christians walk not according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit? Well, Paul tells us in verse 5, he says, for or because, this is the reason why, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The reason why Christians don't walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit, is because they have a different mindset. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, listen to how, this is so important in terms of understanding what it means to have this mindset. Listen to how John Stott defines this mindset. He says, quote, to set the mind on the desires of the sarks, that is the flesh, which we talked about earlier, or on the penuma, that is the spirit, is to make them the absorbing objects of thought, interest, and purpose. It is a question of what preoccupies us, of the ambitions which drive us and the concerns which engross us of how we spend our time and our energies, of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are, whether we are still in the flesh or are now by new birth in the Spirit. End of quote. So listen, my friends, what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8 is that those who are in the Spirit have a different mindset. And what that means is that they have new thoughts They have new interest. They have new desires. They have new concerns. They have new drives. They have new ambitions. In other words, those who are in the Spirit have a new preoccupation. They have a new goal. They have a new vision for their lives. It's not like the vision they had for their lives when they were in the flesh. They have a new vision for their lives. And as a result, they walk not according to the flesh, but according to the flesh to the Spirit. So our mindset determines our behavior. And our mindset is determined by whether we are in the flesh or we are in the Spirit. Who we are determines our mindset, and our mindset determines our behavior. Paul uses this type of language in other places as well. I know right now that 
you're studying in our Sunday morning cohorts, the hour before this hour when we gather for worship, studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so, my friends, it is so critical that we fill our minds with the Word of God. That we, as Paul says in another place, take every thought captive and submit it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That we set our minds on the things of God. And so, based on what Paul says here, we should take stock. We should take inventory of our own minds. What is the quiet script? Because we all have this. What is the quiet script that plays in the background of your mind throughout the day and into the night? Is it of the flesh or is it of the spirit? Is it fear or is it faith? Is it despair or is it hope? Is it resentment or is it love? Is it self-reliance or is it dependence upon the Lord? Is it purity or is it lust? Is it a hunger for God's Word or is it an endless obsession with the next post and the next tweet and the next viral video? What is it that's, that's playing in the script of your mind? Is it of the flesh or is it of the Spirit. And my friends, it's a battle. It's an ongoing fight, right? That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7 as we we wrestle and we struggle as Christians against our flesh. But for those who are in the Spirit, they have a new mindset because they have a new identity and they have set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It is who they are and it is who they are becoming. They have not been perfected yet, but increasingly their minds are set on the things of the Spirit. If you're a Christian here this morning, you know what this is like. You know what it's like for one time in your life to be obsessed with the things of the flesh, to be obsessed with your own image and what people thought of you and your own desires and lust and passions and so forth. And you know what it is by the grace of God to be in the Spirit. To not be perfected, to yes, struggle into battle, but to have a new desire, a new ambition, a new goal, a new vision for your life that you long to please God. That's what Paul's talking about here. So we see a definition, we see a mindset. Third, we see an outcome. Look there in verse six. I'll begin in verse five. Paul says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So notice where this leads. Notice where these two lives lead. Paul tells us very clearly. One leads to death and one leads to life and peace. And we witness this, practically speaking, we witness this all around us on a daily basis. We can say that generally speaking, 
To live according to the flesh results in death. And to live according to the Spirit results in life and peace. We, we considered this idea that the mindset of the flesh leads to death. We considered this in Romans chapter 6. But just think about it for a moment. A mindset on the flesh leads to moral death. That is, the more we indulge in sin, the more callous and the more hardened our hearts come become to sin, and the more we are inclined to sin. The mindset on the flesh leads to relational death. We know how sin divides friends and destroys families. The mind that is set on the flesh leads to emotional death. Sin will reward us in a moment with an emotional high, but then it will leave us with anxiety and with despair and depression. A mind that is set on the flesh leads to physical death. We know that part of living in a world that is cursed by sin is that we will all die physically. Our bodies will give way and we will die. And then ultimately we know that a mind set on the flesh leads to eternal death, which is banishment of sinners from the presence of the life of the life-giving presence of God forever. Now in contrast to that, Paul says that the mind set on the flesh leads to death, but in contrast to that, the mind that is set on the spirit leads to life and peace. A mindset on the spirit results in spiritual life. You know, just as the more we give ourselves to sin, the more our hearts become hardened and callous to sin, the more we give ourselves to the spirit, the more we yield ourselves to the spirit, the more sensitive we become to the spirit, and the more we desire to walk in the ways of the spirit. It leads to spiritual life. A mindset on the Spirit also leads to relational life. When we walk in the Spirit, our relationships are often deepened and strengthened and restored. When we walk in the Spirit, it leads to emotional life. The Spirit helps us battle anxiety and despair and provides us with the resources to experience God's love and joy. A mindset on the Spirit also leads to physical life. Although we will all die physically and experience physical death, for those who are in the Spirit, and we'll consider this next week actually, for those who are in the Spirit, the Spirit will give life to our mortal bodies and we will be given new bodies, resurrected bodies, physical bodies. Life in the Spirit ultimately leads to eternal life. By the Spirit we will dwell forever in the life-giving presence of God. So a mindset on the Spirit leads to life as opposed to death. But Paul also says that it leads to peace. And Paul's told us this in his letter to the Romans already. You remember back in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So a mind that is set on the Spirit leads to peace with God. A mindset on the Spirit leads to peace with one another. As God has reconciled us to Himself, He also reconciles us to one another. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, we read, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Listen, my friends, understand this. And this, this is where we oftentimes try to create our own reality we oftentimes in our own pride and arrogance try to create our own truth. Paul is telling us very clearly here 
You cannot set your mind on the flesh. You cannot pursue a life of the flesh and expect to get life and peace. It just doesn't work that way. And listen, my friends, if you're a Christian and you're setting your mind on the Spirit, be assured of this, God will not give you over to death. In time, by His faithfulness and His grace, He will bless you with life and peace. As Paul lays out for us here these two outcomes, we know what they are. A life set on the flesh leads to death. A life, a mind set on the Spirit leads to life and peace. Which path are you on? Which path will you choose? Paul is telling you clearly here, you know the outcome. Fourth and finally, a relationship. So as we look at this contrast between the flesh and the spirit, we've considered a definition, a mindset, an outcome, and then fourth, a relationship. Notice there in verses 7 and 8, we read these words. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, when I say a relationship, you might be thinking, oftentimes when we think of a relationship, we think of something positive. You know, all relationships aren't positive. And here what we see is Paul is describing the relationship that one in the flesh has with God. The one who is in the flesh, what is their relationship with God like? And Paul teaches us here that for those who are in the flesh, there are three characteristics of their relationship with God. It is a relationship of hostility, it is a relationship of disobedience, and it is a relationship of of inability. Notice that it's a relationship of hostility. Look there in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So to live according to the flesh, to reject God's free offer of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is not just an alternate lifestyle choice. What Paul says here is that it is an active hostility against the God who created us and loves us and desires to redeem us and to bless us. The second characteristic of the relationship of one who is in the flesh and their relationship with God is that of disobedience. So look there in the text again, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. So those who are in the flesh are characterized by disobedience to God and to His law. But notice this, it's even worse than that. The third characteristic of this relationship between those who are in the flesh and God is inability. Look there in the text again in verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There's hostility. For it does not submit to God's law. It's disobedience. Here it is, inability. Indeed, it cannot. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, the inability that Paul is speaking of here is not a physical inability, but rather it is a moral inability. In other words, those who are in the flesh, and this is important to understand, those who are in the flesh possess 
the mental or physical faculties to obey God. But they don't possess the moral ability to obey God because it's not in their nature. It's not in their nature to obey God and to please God. I came across an illustration years ago, I think it's so helpful, in a book that James Boyce wrote entitled The Doctrines of Grace. And he speaks there in that book of uh, the animal world. And you know, in the animal world, there are carnivores who will only eat meat, and there are herbivores who eat plants and vegetation. And you think about a lion, maybe a, a lion that hasn't eaten in days, weeks, maybe. Hungry. And he's a carnivore. He eats meat, right? And if you were to take some straw or some oats and place them before the lion, and you were to say, Look, I know you're hungry, eat. The lion would not eat, right? And it's not because the lion does not have the physical ability to do so. He could munch on the straw, he could munch on the oats, and he could swallow it. His stomach works properly, he could at one level digest it. But he refuses to eat the straw and the oats because it's not in his nature. And if you were to ask him, why do you not eat? You're obviously hungry. He would say, because I hate this stuff. I will only eat meat. You see, it's not that he lacks physical ability. It's not in his nature to do so. It's not in his nature to eat stuff like that. And the same is true for the person who is in the flesh. Consider what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures say, the Lord says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and whoever partakes of this bread will live forever. And for the person who is in the flesh, it's not that they don't have the mental capacity to conceive of that, to understand what it means, even to do it in one sense, it's that they don't have the moral ability to do it. It's not in their nature. They would respond just like the lion responds to the straw laying before him. I hate that kind of food. I don't want to have anything to do with it. They do not submit to the law of God. Indeed, they cannot. The one who is in the flesh cannot please God. And this, my friends, is why we are so desperately in need of the spirit of life. To give life to our dead hearts. To give us rebirth. Cause us to be born again. Give us new natures so that we have new desires. So that we do, in fact... Long for Christ and long for God, and we desire to taste and see that He is good. Now, Paul here describes what that relationship looks like for the one who is in the flesh, what their relationship with God looks like. And he says it's one of hostility, it's one of, diso- of disobedience, it's one of inability. They don't even have the nature to desire, the will at all to seek to please God. But listen, my friends, here's the good news, and this is where we're going to conclude, and I hope this is encouraging to you. Everything that is true for those who are in the flesh is untrue, is not true of those who are in the Spirit. 
Those who are in the Spirit are not hostile to God. So let's, let's define now the relationship between those who are in the Spirit and God. Those who are in the Spirit are not hostile to God. In fact, as we've seen already, they have peace with God. And they love God. Those who are in the Spirit are not dispositionally opposed to God's law. They're not unsubmissive to God's law. As Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. The law of God has been written on their hearts, and they want to obey the law of God. Those who are in the Spirit are not in bondage to the flesh and unable to please God, but rather by the grace of God and the life-giving power of the Spirit, they want to please God. They've been born again. They've been made new. They've been given a new nature. It is who they are. And through faith in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, they increasingly walk in obedience to God's law, and they do, in fact, please God. This is who they are. This is what they want. This is what they desire. This is what they seek after. This is the new vision for their lives. And although they may fall short many times, they pick themselves up again and again and again because this is who they are. They hunger and thirst for righteousness because they are in the Spirit. And my friends, if you're a Christian this morning, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ... This is who you are. You are in the Spirit by the grace of God. I'm going to conclude with this quote. Tom Schreiner, who's a New Testament scholar, I think he captures this idea well when he writes these words. Quote, The fulfillment of the law by believers is the result of the Spirit's work in their heart. New obedience is is rooted in the life-transforming work of the Spirit and thus is not a burden imposed from without, but a delight embraced from within. End of quote. My friends, if you're a Christian, this is, this is what's true of you. This is what Paul's been talking about in Romans, right? The law can't save us. The law can't sanctify us. The law is like this outward, outward requirements and obligations outside of us. It's external. But it doesn't have the power to change us on the inside. But if you're a Christian, what's being said here is true of you. This new obedience in your life to God and to His Word and to His law is rooted in the life-transforming work of the Spirit so that it's not just something external requirements imposed from the outside, but rather it is a work of the Spirit from the inside which we delight to embrace because of the life-giving work of the Spirit. This is what it means to be in the Spirit. Are you in the Spirit? Does this characterize your life? Or are you in the flesh? One leads to death. One leads to life and peace. If you are not in the Spirit, let me encourage you this morning to turn from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will save you. And by His Spirit, He will empower you to walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word, and we thank You for its clarity and for its truth. We pray now that You would take it and to apply it to our hearts. Lord, may we 
rejoice in your grace. May we know by your grace who we are in Christ. May we know the reality and the power of your Spirit in our lives. And may we walk in obedience. And it's through Jesus Christ our Lord we pray.